What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I'm your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me today is the man who sees snow in the forecast and gets out of town, the good deacon, Scott Aiken. Yeah, that was last week I was seeing that I was going to be, I thought, dodging the bullet by getting out of town. No sooner did I take off from Portland when it was just raining and I landed in Washington, D.C., and it was snowy. And I sat out on the tarmac for over two hours as they tried to get planes up to the gates and away from the gates and de-iced. So, so I didn't escape it. Um, I had a solidarity moment with everybody back in Portland who was then getting snowed on at that point. But yeah, it's uh, it was snowing that's that time of year, right? No doubt. Now here in the Portland area, we missed last week's show because we were snowed in and there was snow on the ground. There was ice on the ground, trees falling all over Portland. Many areas are still recovering from that uh, but, you know, it is a it's a way of life. You're right for this area, for at least this time of year. So you were on the ground for two hours. Now, yesterday on my way home, there was a snarl on the interstate bridge, as so often there is. And my normal, which in the morning I have about a 25 minute commute in to the station. It's no traffic at all early in the morning. My commute home, though, because of that accident led me to almost a two-hour commute home. I mean, we were really crawling, and there were times where we were just stopped on the freeway. And I had to call you because I was really feeling kind of anxious about how slow and just inching along just all the way across the city I just, I, I needed to talk to you because you feel that anxiety and that anxiousness. We were talking about it even on the morning show. So what do you do when you are stuck like that? There's nothing you can do. And yeah, your patience is running thin. Phone a friend. And you did exactly that. I did. <laughs> we, we had an opportunity to talk. And, you know, it is in many ways what we'll be talking about on our show today. Uh, it's it's intercession. So I'm, I'm helping to intercede in on behalf of uh, the anxiety that's trying to overwhelm you. So I was grateful when you called me and talked to me because I, I had a lot to share. And so I finished with what I had to share for the day and then you were across the bridge, which was great. But yeah, it is kind of like interceding in, in prayer when, we, when we'll talk a, a bit about that. But it's just uh, when you're in a moment of, of anxiety and, and panic, it's great when you have community in this case, your your husband, but to family to, to call and lean on. So as I talked about often in the last year, I took to plugging in my phone when I leave work and I pray the rosary on the way home. And I've been doing that. So I did do that yesterday. But because traffic was so long, obviously a rosary wasn't going to carry me through. So there are tools that we get that can help us along the way. So I had prayed the rosary, but obviously it was still a much longer trip. And there were part times where I was in traffic where I was just surrounded by cars that were stopped. And it was also then while I was talking with you that I realized that I, I don't have control here. I have got to surrender this trip. I, I just have to pray 
that you know whatever is keeping us up will will break through that whatever the accident whoever was involved in that are safe and and just kind of inch your way through sometimes that's all we can do is just inch by inch by inch and we get through difficult times right you know it's a, it's a great metaphor for we can we can use that metaphor for life's examples um that we we find ourselves just stuck and sometimes we again we we need to phone somebody and talk to them help us be patient as we get unstuck and there's some things we just have no control but to but to be patient i think mary models that so well for the disciples and us we just have to wait my son will will come through and be with you i promise is what she says and and you know in the moment like that that that's good if we can remember that and then pray for the people who are in the accident i think we we get frustrated with people who are in accidents like what did they do wrong but don't judge them pray for them that's it and hope that they are okay well that leads us into today's topic i have coming up a really wonderful interview joe mcgivney is a a distant relative of father mcgivney and he shares a little bit of his story and about how the intercession of father mcgivney because somebody else prayed for him, got him through a very difficult time in his life and how he has surrendered his life to God and gotten over very difficult addiction. And then after that, we'll continue the conversation to talk about how we can do that not only as family, but within community, the intercessors. So we got a great show ahead for you on this week's View from the Pew. Stay with us. Jesus provided so many lessons during his ministry. One message he repeated often, have strong faith. What was his response to those amazed by his miracles? Have strong faith. When the blind came to him in need, he provided vision, teaching that great faith allows each of us to see more clearly throughout the happenings of our lives. When loved ones mourn the dead, Jesus provided new life, showing us that great faith can work to transform our lives no matter how hopeless matters may seem. When demons possessed people, our Lord cured them, showing us that when personal challenges overwhelm us, perhaps psychological problems, healing is available if we keep our strong faith in God. The lesson is clear from God. Amazing things will happen if we keep a strong faith in God. This has been Michael Gisandi with a bit of Catholic encouragement. Family life can be hectic, but God can be found right in the middle of it. So take a moment for this week's View from the Pew. Our mind, and we know our faith, tells us that God never abandons us, even in our darkest times. But when we are in the middle of those dark times, it's nearly impossible to see God working on our lives until the storm is over. 
For those who are working through addiction, author Joe McGivney knows well that darkness and coming through the storm can look back on the miraculous healing that led him back to his family and to God. Now, Joe shares the details of his new book, You're a Miracle, My Story of Alcoholism, Miraculous Healing, and God's Infinite Power and Love. Joe is with me today to tell us more about it. Good morning, Joe. Thanks so much for joining me today. Good morning, Brenda. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for writing this book and being so open with your lives. And uh, it's just wonderful that you are open about your journey and your healing. Now, first, I'd love to talk to you about Knights of Columbus member. They should recognize your name. The founder of the Knights is Father Michael McGivney. How are you related? My uh, great-grandfather and Father Michael are believed to be second cousins. Uh, they, um, Father Michael's dad and my great-grandfather grew up uh, literally kind of down the street from each other in a uh, little village in County Cavan in Ireland. You rely on him, I know, through this journey, and we're going to talk about it. So let's start with your family. Tell us a little bit about uh, your upbringing and and your family that is with you now. Sure. Um, I was born and raised on the south side of of Chicago in a predominantly Irish Catholic neighborhood. And I was raised as a cradle Catholic. Um, Both my mother and father were wonderful, loving, supporting parents. Uh, I, I truly grew up with an idyllic childhood. You talk about your addiction to alcohol. Was there a point in your life where you remember being introduced to alcohol and how that affected kind of the way you move through your teen and, and young adult years? Yes, I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, my love affair began on a hot night, summer night. I was in between my seventh and eighth grade. And I was hanging out with some friends out in front of somebody's house and his older brother came out and we asked, Hey, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to the liquor store. And somebody chimed in and said, will you get us some beer? And he said, if you give me the money, I will. And we did. And he came back with enough beer for each of the six boys that were there, each of us to have three cans of old style beer, which is a Chicago thing. And it's the most awful beer on the planet. I had always felt like I didn't belong anywhere. Uh, I I lacked confidence. I lacked self-esteem. And even though I was a really good student, a good athlete, I always felt less than. And that night, as I'm hanging out with the guys trying to belong, I, I took that first sip of beer and nearly vomited and said, but if I'm going to belong, I got to get this beer down. And by the time I finished those three beers, I was, I, I changed. I hmm. felt different. And I know I no longer felt like I didn't belong. In fact, I felt like I was suddenly charming and handsome and smart and funny. And all of my anxieties and my self-doubt just drifted away. So I remember that following morning as well. I woke up with my first hangover. And I think most people at that point would have said, oh, I'm never going to do that again. I feel horrible today. I couldn't wait to do it again. Wow. I I wanted to get that feeling back that alcohol gave me. 
If you are just tuning in, Joe McGivney is joining us today. His new book is You're a Miracle, and in it he recounts his journey through alcoholism and addiction and his journey back to God and to light. Well, Joe, then what, so you were chasing after that high, even though it left you feeling so terrible. When did it become a problem when you realized that you were an alcoholic and it was affecting your life and your relationships? It, you know, it really continued like most for most people with alcoholism. It progressed over time. And after, uh, you know, I, I when I entered high school, I went to an all-boys Catholic high school called Brother Rice uh, in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I started to become a weekend warrior drinker. As we entered my senior year in high school, I we had more freedom. More of my friends had cars and could drive. And I started drinking nearly every day. And then once I was, you know, graduated high school and moved on to college, I became an absolute daily drinker. Um, but I do want to clarify, I wasn't fall down sloppy drunk every day. Okay. Um, but alcohol was a part of, you know, my life now. And after college, when I joined the real world, uh, again, I, I found my coworkers that liked to drink and they became my new friends. And I just, you know, my alcoholism can continued to progress. Um, I ultimately was married for the first time, had two beautiful, wonderful children, but my alcoholism continued to get worse and worse and ultimately, you know, resulted in the end of my very first marriage. So at that point, it, it was clear I had a problem. In 2020, we all learned of this word called COVID, and and we didn't know what it was, but we all were affected by it. You chose to deal with this in certain ways. So tell us a little bit about how COVID impacted your drinking. Sure. You know, for me, like I feel most people, when COVID lockdown began in early March of 2020, my fears, my anxieties just spiraled out of control. and. I think most people turn to their friends, their family members, their faith, their church to find comfort. Uh, my only solution was to go back to what I love more than anything, which was vodka. And in the morning, the moment I woke up each morning until I either went to bed or passed out each night, there was vodka flowing through my body and more importantly, through my brain. That started in early March. By the time December of 2020 rolled around, on December 30th, my body and my brain had started rewiring and I collapsed on the floor. Uh, my wife, Nicole, was able to get me to a hospital. Uh, otherwise, I would have probably died that night. And they admitted me to this hospital. And that began, the, it was the beginning of a nine-week odyssey where I was in and out of institutions. And they detoxed me. But I started, again, mentally, because of brain changes, structural changes in my brain, I started getting worse and worse and worse until I reached a point where I was completely psychotic. And my last stop where they finally figured out what was wrong with me was a locked psych ward here in West Palm Beach, Florida. And they identified that I now had Korsakoff psychosis, which... The data is frightening. Uh, Once you reach, your brain reaches that place, there is no coming back. There is no healing. 
And um, my family was told that they had to figure out where to put me for the rest of my life because I was violent. I was hallucinating. I didn't know who anybody was. I was frequently restrained. And there was no way they could send me home to my wife. So they, they said, look, you got to find a home for him. And I, after they transferred me out of the psych ward into a place that agreed to hold me for 30 days while Nicole find a, found a permanent home for me, they checked me into that institution. They put me to bed and I woke up the following morning completely healed. No deficits, psychological, physical None. And I wake up in this room and I'm looking around. There's a bed, there's a nightstand, there's a window. And I'm like, where am I? And how did I get here? Well, over the then following days, I learned that I had been transferred there from a psych ward. I learned that I had been completely psychotic. I started to, people filled in the blanks that maybe what happened to me was truly miraculous. But now I'm in this treatment facility, and I'm still an alcoholic. So God has already physically healed me. Hmm. But I still have a drinking problem that I have to solve. Okay. So during that period, um, I ultimately, as a result of a really traumatic phone call with my wife, Nicole, where she had finally again said, I can't do this anymore, Joe. I, I can't. You know, I want the best from you. I'm so happy you're healed, but I, I won't be here when you get home. In that moment, my life changed. I finally accepted the fact that I had a problem with alcohol. The therapist I was with in, in, when Nicole gave me that bad news said, Joe, there's an AA meeting starting in a few minutes and you need to go. And I, I, I pushed back. I said, you know, are you kidding? I was crying, sobbing. He's, I said, God, I'm a mess. I'm not going to some AA meeting. Somehow he convinced me to get there. And in the first meeting I had ever attended of AA, they started reading the 12 steps. Um, I came to learn that AA is completely based in God. Mm -hmm. And the third step reads, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God. When I heard them read that through my tears, I almost had this inner voice say to me, pay attention now, Joe. Hmm. And I was hyper-focused on that third step. And like most day meetings after that, a speaker got up and shared his story of how he had burned his life down, destroyed his relationships, destroyed his family, and then through the steps of AA, working it with a sponsor, he, he had recovered everything and then more. And that his life was filled with happiness and joy. And you could see it on his face. And it sounded like exactly what I wanted in my life. So, Joe, God is obvious. We turn our lives over to God. God places in our lives people that help us on our way. And for you, God brought you your Aunt Jerry. Can you tell us a little bit about her pivotal part in your recovery? Yes, I will. My Aunt Jerry, who is a McGivney, uh, is, was, is a, a nurse. And during that medical odyssey that I was going through, she was my medical advocate. And she was translating, I guess you could say, for my family members what was really medically going on with me. And not so after I you know, got out of the treatment facility, I started going to AA meetings. I'm building this sobriety and this spiritual connection to God. 
<clears throat> and in a phone call with Jerry, I had shared with her that I had just joined the Knights of Columbus. I giving back and serving others is a big part of sobriety. And I said, it's about time I joined the Knights. And I did. And I shared that with my aunt, Jerry, this devout Catholic woman that I had joined the Knights founded by our relative. And she started crying and said, Joey, when you, when you were so sick, I prayed to God, to Mary, to Jesus, to anyone who would listen. But I fervently prayed to our relative, Father Michael. And everything kind of fell into place spiritually for me. I knew I had been miraculously healed. But I always wondered, why me? You know, there, I certainly was not the only alcoholic or psychotic on the planet. Why did God choose to heal me? And it came to believe that it was the intercession of Blessed Michael and my beautiful Aunt Jerry's prayers that led to my miracle. Oh, I, I'm just smiling listening to this story. And the word that sticks out to me, Joe, that you were just saying, hope. There is hope. And uh, you are a perfect example of hope and the way that God wants us not to just be happy, but to have joy flowing in every part of our lives. And it's a wonderful story. You are very raw with that. And thank you so much for sharing your book with us today. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. The two words that stuck out to me when in Joe's interview was surrender, his will to that of God, and hope. And it's funny, you would not think that surrendering and hope are two words to, that go together, but absolutely, that is everything. And it got him through this very severe addiction and miraculous healing, a healing that he wasn't asking for himself, but that somebody interceding for him prayed to Father McGivney and to the Holy Family, and he was fully restored. And he has no doubts about the miraculous nature of that Scott, in your own ministries, you've you've talked with people like Joe who who are in the pangs of addiction, and it is difficult not only for the person themselves, but for everybody else around them. Right. Yeah. You know, what is so impressive with his journey is that he comes to a place of hope again. That's why we pray. That's why we have community. That's why we are actively led to go to Mass once a week to continue to find hope because in our left to our own devices, we can be easily manipulated, misled into hopelessness. And it's just amazing that he is related to Father McGivney because Father McGivney, who is particularly a person and a priest and a saint who are a hopeful saint that uh, is such an inspiration to me because I'm a fourth degree knight. Mm -hmm. Father McGivney started the Knights of Columbus. He started it to try to address uh, an exodus within the church, particularly of men who were going over to Freemasonry. And they were searching for hope. And he was able to establish the Knights of Columbus to try to re-ground uh, particularly men back into responsible action and to be able to pray together, pray for one another, and to support family. So here his distant relative, 
uh, Joe receives this grace from from Father McGivney in his own desires to try to to recognize the importance of surrendering and hope. What is interesting, and Scott, as a, as a man, you love to look at those that, you know those old war shows, those movies, and and surrendering is the last thing that any of these movies portray. It's about victory. It's overcoming. And yet our faith tells us through surrender, through offering up our difficulties to letting go of the control, that through that we are strengthened. And it's through surrender to God that we are victorious. It's a complete opposite of what the rest of the world would tell us. But our faith tells us surrender. And not only will you be victorious, not only will you overcome, but God blesses us abundantly. That's exactly what Joe found through surrender. It doesn't make sense at all. Well, St. Paul, I think, examples that in, in his in his letters uh, so eloquently and states that, that it is in our weakness that we are strong. And understanding the relationship with God is not about me figuring it out, not about me controlling my habitual nature, but surrendering that humanity to God, and God gives us grace to overcome our habitual nature. And the devil seeks to try to divide us by virtue of that habitual aspect of who we are. And so people get sucked into vices. And in those vices, they're often led to those vices because of hopelessness, which only grinds them down further into deeper despair and hopelessness. Uh, And for him to talk about just how he had this miraculous uh, recovery. Uh, it, that, that in and of itself seems impossible. So as much as surrender seems impossible, the miracle of God seems impossible to us. But as, as we're clearly told by Christ, all things are possible. Mm-hmm. All things are possible with God. So, you know, that's a, a hopeful reminder that we have a, an ability and a responsibility to pray for one another. And, and the people that I work with within the parish on spiritual direction, I've seen absolute miracles like Joe received, where they woke up one morning with a, a healed heart and mind. And they can't explain it other than they know there was a, uh, a saint that interceded. One story of a woman had St. Michael uh, intercede for her. And it was a miraculous occurrence. Uh, so these are not things of, of story. These are things of our actual faith that we should be very uh, grateful for and excited about because we need to find that hope in us to be able to share it with others who are lacking that hope. And certainly Joe McGivney got that uh, blessing. And it is a hope and a blessing all of us can rely on for sure. Scott, before we go today, can you please end us in prayer? Lord, we are grateful for our humanity, knowing that you shared in our humanity. You know our hearts. Help us to trust in that and surrender this week to regain hope that you are with us in all things. We ask you to give us special protection upon our families as represented by Mary and Joseph to pray for us in our times of need. 
We ask this through your holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our view from the pew. God bless. Have a great week. You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon.